Well, good morning, everyone. I've been really looking forward to this morning, which sounds a strange thing for the speaker to say, but this has been, I think, something that's been burning in me for quite some time. Um, and we've been given this morning chapter three of James to have a look at, which is all about the tongue and how we use it. And I have to say that um, I have been really challenged by it. And I have actually found myself adjusting my own behavior because of what I've actually been looking through. Um, can I also say I'm really thankful that you haven't all disappeared off upstairs. Because <laughs> I, I could see one or two people looking round and when Sam was talking thinking, that sounds really exciting upstairs, but no, you're here, that's great. Th thank you, thank you for staying. But uh, no, this is a really challenging passage. I've been challenged. Are you ready for the challenge? Good, good, right. Now, I'm just going to start with a story. And uh, you are like a story, don't you? And this is a story you may well have heard before. It, you, you'll, you'll find it repeated in many countries and different cultures. But tracing it back, it seems to come from the 1500s when a parish priest by the name of Philip Neri, um, he got rather fed up with a member of his congregation who, shall we say, was less than careful with her words. Um, I'm not going to make any point about it being her words. That's the story, nothing to do with me, so I'm just going to cover myself on that one. But Philip Neri took this lady to the top of the church bell tower. And it wasn't to throw her off, don't, don't worry, it's, 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 it's not violent. Um, but he took with him a pillow, and the pillow was filled with feathers. And when he got to the top, he ripped it open and he gave it to the lady and he told her to shake the feathers out over the top of the tower. And of course, they floated off with the breeze all over town. They stuck to people, they stuck to things, anything they could stick to, they did. And then the priest said, now go and pick them all up. And the woman said, but that's impossible, they're everywhere. And then he said, and so are your words. Now, you get the point of the story, don't you? Once our words have left our mouths, there's no getting them back. And that's something that many politicians and celebrities, I'm sure, wish they'd realized a little bit earlier. Um, now, I've been thinking a lot about the power of our words. Um, I don't intend to launch into the Bee Gees number or the, uh, the, the, the boys, uh, boys own, uh, covered it later, I think. But it's only words, that one. Um, but Rosemary started me thinking along these lines, so I'm going to blame her for this morning, but she called me out on blaming my bad memory on my age. Now, you know, you, you, you know the kind of things, don't you? You go upstairs for something, you get to the top of the stairs, and you, you forgot why you went, and, and, and you find your glasses in the fridge instead of the cheese. You, you know, we, we, we may well have been there, I, I don't know. Um, and to be completely honest, I've always had a bad memory, um, and I only really survived in my job by having copious lists. If it wasn't on a list, it didn't get done. But recently, I hit a milestone, I turned 70. Oh, you don't look it. Well, th well thank you very much. Um, but, 
I then started to blame, you know, if I'd forgotten to do something, well, I'm 70 now, it's my age, and, and I was being a bit tongue-in-cheek, but Rosemary challenged me, and she said, you have to be careful what you say over yourself because your words have power. And on thinking about it, um, I had to concede that she was probably right. And it uh, comes a bit hard sometimes having to admit that your wife is right. Um, but the more I look into it, the more I'm convinced that she was right. Now, I'm not talking about any mystical kind of talking it up kind of thing. You know, you've all heard about the commentator's curse, haven't you? You know, the kind of thing where the commentator says, you know, oh, we're heading for a nil-nil draw now. Nobody looks as though they can break the deadlock and then two goals go in in stoppage time. Or he seems so comfortable at the crease now, he's heading for his century. Oops, he's just been bold middle stump. You know, we've all heard those things, haven't we? Um, so it's become known as the commentator's curse, but we're not talking about luck, commentator's curses, anything dodgy of that sort. We're talking about being careful about what comes out of our mouths as people of the kingdom. Um, God's word is powerful. You know, at creation, he spoke and it all came into being. Lots of people debate, was it six days, was it longer? Well, I'm just surprised it took him six days because my God could have done it you know, in an instant. I think he just sort of decided he'd pace it out a little bit to make it easier for us to understand. But that's all by the way. But he spoke and everything came into being. And when Jesus was on this earth, we know that when he spoke, he spoke with authority. He commanded demons to flee. He spoke healing into people's bodies. He spoke and the dead were raised. And even now, we only live because of his word. And Hebrews tells us um, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful Word And Jesus holds everything together by his powerful word. Now, as an ex-physics teacher, I could go on about covalent bonds, electromagnetic forces, and I, I won't because I'm not at school now. Um, but all those forces that we talk about are relatively weak. It's really Jesus that holds everything together. I'm absolutely convinced of this. God's word is power. But Jesus also gives us the authority to use his word again. And I honestly sometimes don't think Christians realize how much power and authority they really do have. And they often don't step into that authority because of fear. Fear of what they might look like. Fear that if they step out, God won't turn up. Sometimes I think they feel they're just not good enough. All sorts of reasons why we don't actually step into the authority of using God's word. Now, John tells us, as he is, so are we in this world. That's a really important scripture, I think, because our words have power too, because we have Jesus living within us, and we should be living as Jesus lived. As he is, so are we in this world. I saw a quote recently by Reinhard Bonke, and this, his quote was this, his word is as powerful in our mouths as it is in his. And I read that, and I thought, wow, 
Is that really true? Does that fit my theology? And now, if you haven't heard of Reinhard Bonke, he was, uh, he was a German, but he was an evangelist who worked mainly in Africa. He saw thousands, if not millions, come to Christ. But not only that, he saw countless healings, he saw deliverances, and even the dead raised. And there was one, I had a newspaper cutting where it actually made the mainstream press in South Africa when somebody was raised from the dead at one of his crusades. Uh, Now, he lived by what he believed. He lived that quote, if you like. God's word has power. We can live in that power too. And we'll look a little bit more at that idea later. But James urges us to be careful with our tongue. This is what he says. If we could have the next screen. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sisters, this should never be. You know, we have the power to bless. We have the power to curse. And often this negative power can be quite subtle. And we do it without realizing it. And as Rosemary informed me, you know, we can easily speak negative words even over ourselves. But we can also speak them over other people too. And, you know, we tear others down when we, we criticize them. We point out their weak points. We complain about them, especially when they're not present. And sometimes we can sort of do that thing of we start speaking positively about someone and then we throw in that but. And we mention a fault or an annoying point or something. You know, yeah, he's, he's a lovely chap. He's a bit flaky. Have you heard that kind of thing? Uh, or he's a gifted speaker, oh, but he couldn't administer his way out of a paper bag. I've, I've actually heard that one. You know, why, why do we do those kinds of things? What we're doing is we are actually dishonoring the person when we bring in the negative like that. Now, we, te- we tend to expect it in the world, don't we, out there. We shouldn't hear it in church. We really shouldn't because it diminishes the person. It din- diminishes the honor that is due that person as someone who was made in the image of God. And it's what James talks about, blessings and curses coming from the same mouth. Now, I've been challenged, and I have really tried hard to moderate my language and to only speak blessing, not curses. It's so easy to slip into the other one. And I know from experience that I have actually thought differently about a person and reacted differently to that person when I've listened to somebody's negative opinion about them. And I'm trying very hard not to do that as well. Now let's just look at that whole passage in James 3. It is a really challenging passage. We'll put the words up. You can follow it in your Bible if you like. It might be a little bit small on the screen, but we'll go through it anyway. Now it starts off, this is starting in James 3 verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Doesn't pull his punches, James, does he? That's quite, quite strong. Next screen. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, according to Thomas Aquinas, backbiting is a sin more serious than theft. Thomas Aquinas was a very famous philosopher and theologian back in history who had quite a, um, a big say in how the church developed. Um, but he, he had this belief, backbiting is a sin more serious than theft. And he based this on Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than riches. If you take away someone's good name, it's worse than taking away their property. Property can be replaced. We're probably all insured. You know, you can replace property. A good name is far more difficult to regain. And we know that from stuff we've seen in the press. Once the mud flies, it, it, it tends to stick, doesn't it? Even when it's shown to be wrong. So we have to be so careful about not diminishing people. So what is the antidote to this toxic poison of the tongue, as James puts it? Now, he says, we may not be able to tame the tongue, but we know a man who can. We know a man who can. We've already said that God's word is powerful and effective, so let's bring his word to bear on our tongues. Now, Paul urges us, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And you're going to say, but hold on, I thought we were talking about words, now you're talking about thoughts. But where do the words start? They start in here. They start as a thought. Before we speak, the word forms in our thinking. Although, with some people, I do wonder if there's any filters at all. It just seems to tumble out. But for most of us, the thought starts in here before we express it. So let's just check that thought against Scripture. Does it build up? Does it honor the other person? Is it helpful? If not then let's keep it in there and not let it tumble out. Let's use the self-control that I believe we are given as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to help us to overcome the negative effects of our tongue. And James backed this up in the scripture we've just read. If we can have the next screen. We are powerful enough, enough to control ourselves in every way. We are powerful because we have Jesus within us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Paul gets in on the act, and uh, I think he links into this really well in a scripture in Philippians 4 when he says, Summing it all up, friends, 
I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. See how it links? Um, if our minds focus on the negative, our words will reflect it. If our minds focus on the things that are pure and noble and reputable and beautiful, our words will reflect that. So let's speak those things over ourselves. Let's th speak those things over others, over our families, over our colleagues, over our friends, and yes, even over our enemies. That's a challenge, isn't it? Speaking positive, beautiful things even over our enemies. So we are heirs of an amazing heavenly kingdom. So let's use our tongues to bless. Especially let's deal with the critical spirit. It should never have any place in church. But as I come into land, I really just want to focus in on one word. And this word is so important to us because it is true. It is noble. It is reputable. It is authentic. It is gracious. And it is the best. And that word, you know where I'm going, don't you? That word is Jesus. Absolutely. And we've sung about it this morning. We can speak Jesus because before that name... We're told demons tremble. Before that name, giants come tumbling down. Before that name, strongholds crumble. Before that name, disease and sickness bow the knee and they have to flee. It's the name before any other name. And Paul says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above Every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means demons, Satan and all his cohorts, they have to bow the knee. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we are given the privilege of being able to use that name. Now in um, the book of Acts... There's the story of when Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. And a, a man who had been lame from birth, um, he was sitting there begging and he asked them for a handout. But Peter actually said, I don't have any money, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now when, when Peter said, in the name of Jesus... He knew that name meant something. He'd been with this person for three years. He'd seen his compassion for people. He'd seen um, him healing everyone who came to him. He'd seen him walk on water. He'd seen him calm the storm. He'd seen him raise the dead. He knew the power of that name. That's what he was tapping into. And Peter just knew the way of working that was the way Jesus worked. And that's what he was speaking over this lame man. Now, I'm so often, I know I'm guilty of this. We finish our prayers by, in the name of Jesus. And what we're really sort of saying is, yeah, I'm signing off now. Instead of realizing the power and the authority that we're speaking over our prayers. And in the name of Jesus, 
Peter saw the miracle because the man leapt to his feet and the Bible tells us he went jumping and leaping and praising God. And as you can imagine, this drew quite a crowd. The people knew this man. He'd been there for years. He'd been lame from birth and he'd been begging. And suddenly this person they knew was jumping and leaping and everyone gathered round. What on earth is going on? And this is what Peter said to them. And I love this bit. We can just have this. Peter said, he's preaching to this crowd at form, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Peter knew exactly where the power came from. Now later, Jesus was, um, sorry, Peter was dragged before the religious leaders to explain himself. And he didn't pull any punches. Look what he said to these religious leaders. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The power of the name of Jesus was brought home to me one morning in church, and that's probably one of the more spiritual experiences I've had in church since, since I've been here. Uh, I happened to be the leader in charge one Sunday morning. Um, I think Graham was away. Um, again, uh, no. Um, yeah, no, no, Graham was away, and uh, I, I was the leader in charge. And we, we had quite a powerful morning, and several people came out for prayer. Um, and one young lady who came out was prayed for by a couple of the women. And it became obvious that something spiritual was bothering her. Um, and the women praying didn't quite know how to handle it. Something seemed to be manifesting. And it, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. And so they came to get me. And I can remember walking across the church thinking, like, I know how to handle it. And... Um, and I was standing at the front, and I could see that something that wasn't good was bothering this young lady. And I prayed one of those prayers that some people call an arrow prayer. You know what I mean? It goes straight to heaven, doesn't it? And I think perhaps it was more like a panic prayer. What do I do now, God? You know, you're trying to look sort of in charge and like, you know, nothing's bothering you. But underneath, you're actually gently panicking. And, you know, I just stood there, and I felt I heard a voice in my head say, Tell her to praise me. And so I turned to her and I said, have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Yes, she said. And I then said, then praise him. Thank him for everything he's done for you. She then launched in this most beautiful prayer of thanks. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Praise you that you have rescued me. And you know, what happened then was, whatever was bothering her, it just left and I felt you could almost see it go. And her whole demeanor changed and her face became serene and all was glowed and what was left was peace and calm and a totally different person. Now that person was Dee. Give him a wave, Dee. <laughs> and, and I know for Dee that was such an important part of her testimony. Ask her about it afterwards. She'd love to give you her perspective because probably it'll be a little bit different to mine. We're both different sides of what happened. Um, but I know she says, that was the morning she was delivered. But I don't know about Dee, but I learned so much from that experience. I learned it wasn't about show. 
No one shouted. No one threw Bibles around. No one laid hands and shook people or did anything dodgy of anything of that sort. No one hyped anything up. In fact, I did nothing. The name of Jesus did it all. As Dee just lifted up the name of Jesus, whatever was bothering her, it just couldn't stay. It, it, it left. You know, the enemy finds it difficult to hang around when we lift up the name of Jesus. And that's why worship is so important. That's why we have a time of worship in church. It's, it's not the warm-up act or anything of that sort. You know, it's not the preparation for the word. We're worshiping and lifting up the name of Jesus over all our issues, the week we've had, everything that can be possibly negative. We just lift the name of Jesus above everything. Now, some of you may have heard of John Wimber, who had a real healing ministry. And he came over here from the States and he did a series of meetings, um, and you know, those sort of healing meetings. And you know, everything was happening, people were being healed, people were being delivered, and so forth. And it was sort of a really exciting time. Um, but one of the organizers of the meetings went to John Wimber and said, um, We'd like to cut the worship time down so we can then get on with the main part of the meeting, which is the ministry and you know, people being prayed for and such like. And John Wimber said, no, the worship stays. And he says, besides, it's not for you, it's for... And I bet you thought he was going to say Jesus, but he didn't. He says, not for you, it's for me. Because he knew that he could only operate out of a time when Jesus had been lifted up. He knew the meaning of that scripture when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do Nothing, And we need to remember that. It's not about us. It's the name of Jesus. We have the privilege of speaking the name of Jesus. That's why I say we have authority over all the works of the evil one. Now, there's a song that's been very much on my mind. And I know a lot of you really love it as well. The song is called, um, We Speak Jesus. And that's the one we're going to finish with. And sometimes, in fact, if the band would like to just start to come out, sometimes I think God gives us a song that has a prophetic edge to it. And th this is one of those songs. And as we just sing this song, I just want you to really take note of the words. It is prophetic. And as Lucy and the band sing it, I'm going to encourage you that if you're struggling with anything this morning, whatever issue, if it's uh, anything that robs you of your peace, any addiction, any stronghold in your life, speak the name of Jesus over it while we're just singing. Speak the name of Jesus over your workplace. Speak the name of Jesus over your school, over your family. Speak the name of Jesus over any health issues you're struggling with because it's the name of power and authority and no weapon or strategy of the enemy can stand against it. And if you'd like prayer this morning while we're singing, just come out because we've got people who would love to pray with you. But all we're going to do is speak the name of Jesus over you because I really feel that's what God wants us to do this morning. But before we sing, if you have never spoken the name of Jesus over your life, if you've never realized that salvation is found in no other name under heaven, take this opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your life. Invite him in. Invite him to bring his salvation 
to bring his peace and bring his healing. Don't miss this opportunity.